0: Good morning, everyone. Hi, hi. If you don't know me, I'm Ryan. I'm part of the, the leadership team here at Redeemer, and um, we are on week eight of our Holy Habits series. I think, uh, where we have been looking at some of the practices, some of the disciplines, some of the habits that you, as a disciple of Jesus, can really um, embed into your life as you walk the way of Jesus. We really believe and. Um, encourage you to get into some of these habits and begin to make them come to life in your own life and they will begin to shape you they will begin to form you they will begin to help you walk in the way of jesus so um yeah just earlier dave was talking about the the, the night of prayer on wednesday and uh, you may have got a little email in your inbox this week just about uh sort of a month of prayer as we're in the this this uh, season of lent in the church calendar Uh, we're really uh, inviting the whole church into a month of prayer together. And um, so Wednesday night is going to form a critical component of that. And then last week, Dan opened up uh, with uh, the practice of prayer as abiding, uh, as practicing the presence of God, and that being kind of like the ground zero for our life in prayer as a disciple of Jesus. And um, Dave Armstrong last week spoke a little bit about... um, Presence in prayer being the soil out of which everything else uh, in our lives and in the life of this community, the life of Redeemer, it's the soil in which everything should be birthed out of. So we are really calling you to saturate everything that we do as a community in prayer. Um, You know, I heard a little thing a number of months ago uh, from Alan Emerson actually, came via Alan Emerson through somebody else, but um, he said something that really struck me and it was that anything, everything that we do as a church community should be birthed out of prayer. And if it isn't, we run the risk of it being birthed out of pride. And that really kind of struck me as being true because when we kind of steam on and do things in our own power, you know, very often it can be birthed out of our own ambition, birthed out of our own pride, birthed out of our own stuff and not really birthed in the will of God and the desire of his heart. So we're really calling us as a church to really saturate everything in prayer. Um, In this season, to kind of kickstart the whole thing, but to continue on from here and really go for it as we set a culture of prayer uh, and presence right at the heart of everything we do at Redeemer. So as I said, Dan opened up last week. um, Sorry, I've got a sore back. Uh, Dan opened up last week um, uh, with the holy habit of abiding, prayer as abiding, and I'm going to build on that today. That's kind of the foundation, the ground zero for everything that we're going to do in the weeks ahead, as we look at some different aspects of prayer in the life of the believer, the life of the disciple, and the way of Jesus. So today I'm going to be looking at prayer as formation and prayer as fighting. And there's two pictures that I kind of want to use to illustrate that this morning. And uh, we're going to use the picture of the anchor for prayer as formation. And we're going to use the picture of the kite as prayer as fighting. And I'll unpack what I mean by those as we go along. So we've talked a lot in this recent season about uh, spiritual formation in Redeemer. And right back in kind of October, November time, as part of our Elements series, we had five elements that we believe are those shaping ideas that we orientate ourselves around as a community in Redeemer. And one of those elements was the element of formation, of being shaped in the way of Jesus. And um, so I want to talk today about prayer as formation. Um, as we've worked our way through this Holy Habits series, we've made the, t- we've made the point time and again that um, habits form us, they shape us, and if we're not intentional about cultivating disciplines and habits that form us in the way of Jesus, we're going to find that very soon there are other soul-shaping forces and factors around us that are going to shape us into their likeness rather than into the likeness of Jesus. And so if we're saying that all the stuff that we do, all the ministries that we're engaged in as a community, all the fruit that we hope to bear in our own lives, if we say that all of that must come from a place of being birthed in the soil of presence and of prayer, then it's probably also true to say that there are other kinds of soil that are hostile to such growth. And um, it's probably true to say that the most obvious one in a city like Belfast and being a church community in a city like Belfast Um, that on the one hand is kind of becoming more and more post-Christian, more and more secular, more and more progressive in many ways. And yet on the other hand, it's kind of still deeply entrenched in this kind of curious blend of politicized religion with sectarian divide and bigotry still prevalent in many quarters. And this creates a really kind of odd soil that has some beautiful aspects, but it also has some deeply corrosive aspects that are counter to the way of the kingdom of God. And uh, really what we're calling you to as a community and all of us as a community to is a way beyond that soil, a way beyond the utopian vision given by the left or the right or the conservatives or the progressives and this way beyond that is the kingdom of God. So our cultural moment we're saying really has a way of shaping our souls. And I want to ask you, just as we opened up this morning, um, what are you being most shaped by? Are you shaped more by your consumer preferences than you are by prayer? Are you shaped more by your smartphone than you are by prayer? Are you shaped more by the latest slickly produced podcast than you are by prayer? Are you shaped more by a particular identity politics than you are by prayer? Are you shaped more by your peers than you are by prayer? Are you shaped more by your opinions and preferences than you are by prayer? Are you shaped more by the zeitgeist, by the spirit of the age, by the cultural soil that you find yourself planted in than you are by prayer? And I love this little thing uh, written by a guy, Brian Zand. Um, He says this. He says, I am a Christian because I pray as a Christian I pray to the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray the prayer Jesus gave his disciples to pray. I pray the prayers of the church. How we pray is how we are formed. The Hindu is formed by Hindu prayers. The Jewish formed by Jewish prayers. The Christian is formed by Christian prayers. The Muslim is formed by Muslim prayers. The secularist is formed by not praying. If they pray at all, they pray their own prayers, which is to say, They're not being formed by prayer. They're only wishing. They wish for what they want, and they call it prayer. Window shopping imagined as prayer. This is the prayer of the consumerist, the secularist, the atheist. But the Christian tradition knows better. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what you want them to do, but to be properly formed. We are formed as Christian people as we pray Christian prayers. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says this. He said, when you pray, say. And then in Acts 2, we read this in 242. We read that the early believers after the day of Pentecost devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I love this. I love the fact that there's 2,000 years of prayers of the tradition of the church. I love that we get to add our prayers to that constant stream of prayer that has poured forth from the earliest days of the church until now in ever-increasing volume and intensity. I love that over and above all of the, those prayers, we get to pray the scriptures. The Psalms is the prayer book of the Hebrew people, rich and deep, and wide and displaying the full range of emotion and longing and pain that is resident in the human heart and experience. There are prayers scattered throughout the New Testament as well. We don't know all the prayers that the early church prayed together, but we can know that they were Jews who had been converted and they were steeped in the prayers and traditions of their Jewish faith and their newfound revelation of Jesus as their Messiah. And it's probably not too difficult to imagine that just like those disciples on the road to Emmaus who had their eyes opened, that perhaps those early believers, those early Jewish believers, were able to pray the ancient prayers of their tradition uh, with fresh insight and revelation as Jesus and the Messiah, as the Messiah. And of course, we have the disciples themselves asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray To which Jesus replied, when you pray, say. So today I want to make recommendation to you to see the prayers of the tradition of the church and the scriptures themselves as life-giving. More than that, I want to paint a picture this morning that will enable you to see those prayers, these prayers as a key component in our formation into the likeness of Christ and into his way. In fact, I want to contend for us to anchor into prayer in this way is in fact tethering ourselves to the very person and presence of Christ. A little bit about my own story in discovering prayer in my walk with Jesus. Um, About four and a half years ago, I discovered these books, which I bang on about all the time. If you know me, you will have heard me bang on about these books. I buy them for people. I give them to people. I should have shares in these books. They should give me commission for every time somebody buys one of my recommendation or I buy it for them. These books are amazing. This is Celtic Daily Prayer, and it's a book of daily office. If you've never heard of what the daily office is, it's really set prayers throughout your day, morning, midday, evening, and then before you go to bed. And these books are gold. This transformed my prayer life. Maybe four and a half years ago, as I said, I was in a bit of a transition personally. Just turned 36, which, you know, when they talk about 72, kind of being, you know, that's all you got. That's kind of halfway. So I was kind of hitting a little bit of a kind of crisis, bit of gray hair, two kids. Another one was a twinkle in my eye. And uh, I had just finished one employment and I had started my own business I had a lot of time on my hands, a bit of anxiety to deal with, and I discovered this book. And to be honest, it was a lifesaver for me. It taught me how to pray. These prayers, I should say, taught me how to pray. They taught me how to grow. It taught me how to mature, how to really abide in Christ. Somehow, the strange prayers that are contained within this book. And they were strange to begin with. I found it strange praying set prayers every day alongside other prayers. But as I did that, I found that they began to do a deep work in me. They taught me to pray, as I said. They got deep into me. They began to profoundly transform me. I discovered that I wasn't really the type of person who was just going to be a prayer and it was going to be easy. It was just going to come out of me, all my own words. I discovered that I needed something to help me pray and frame my abiding in Jesus. And more than that, I discovered that when things weren't going so well, that alongside my prayers of groaning and desperation and crying out to God, I could hook in to the prayers of the daily office and ride the slipstream of those beautiful words and intentions taken from scripture and tradition. This is nothing new. This is no big secret, really. The The practices of prayer, of scripture, and of community that followers of Jesus have practiced throughout the ages, throughout revolutions, persecutions, cultural upheaval and wars, These practices have enabled Christians to stay true to the path of Jesus throughout it all. We tend to look for the coolest new thing, you know, the latest podcast, the latest book, the latest whatever, to help us kind of level up, you know, level up in our spiritual life. But listen, if there is a secret, it's getting into stuff like this. It's daily prayer. It's getting into Scripture it's gathering with other Christians in homes and places like this throughout your week regularly. And if you do that, you'll be out in front in your walk with Jesus. It's no big secret. Think about the story of Daniel in the Old Testament, as I heard it chatted about this week. He was a man he was deeply embedded in the political and religious culture of the ancient Babylonian people. His people, the Jews, were in exile in Babylon. And as the old Sunday school song goes, if you remember it, Daniel was a man of prayer. Daily he prayed three times, you know. In the face of a hostile culture that says, bow down to our gods, Daniel held true to Yahweh. And no doubt, this was greatly aided by his practicing the spiritual discipline of prayer. And so it can be for us today. As we practice the discipline of prayer in our lives, we can hold true to the way of Jesus in the face of a culture that maybe has some corrosive elements to our faith. When difficulties hit you in your job, how can you practice walking in the way of Jesus? You can pray the daily office. When you no longer take your health for granted and illness hits you, how can you practice walking in the way of Jesus? You pray the daily office when you no know longer what parts of the faith you 've inherited from your tradition or your bringing are core and which are peripheral, as we had as a, an interview question recently. How can you practice walking in the way of Jesus? You pray the daily office when you 're betrayed, how can you practice walking in the way of Jesus? you can pray the daily office. When you're grief-stricken, how can you practice walking in the way of Jesus? You can pray the daily office. When you've no longer got the words of your own to pray, how can you practice walking in the way of Jesus? You can pray the daily office. You get the picture, I'm kind of banging a drum here, but in the mundane and the ordinary and the extraordinary and the celebratory, in the valleys and the mountain tops, you pray the daily office. That'll hook you into Jesus. That'll hook you into the presence of Christ. Praying these prayers that have been formed in the furnace of tradition and of Scripture will tether you to Christ. You will learn through their help what it is they abide in Christ as the phrases, the intents, intentions, and the declarations of faith that knit themselves into your soul begin to form you. They get into your bones and I can think of no better way to describe how using these kind of, kind of prayers has shaped my own life. We will, we were supposed to have a bookshop up and running, running today, or a book table, whatever, um, but they're in the post office. So we're going to have a bunch of these at the back, and we're going to have a bunch of uh, Pete, Pete Gregg's book, Dirty Glory, at the back as well, which is a book that we're reading as a, as a leadership team at the minute. You'll be able to pick those up, can I encourage you to do that? We're gonna add to this bookstall as the weeks roll on and as different books are gonna be added to that. That, It'll not be the only book on prayer that'll be down the back alongside Dirty Glory. There'll be other books as well, but this is one that we're recommending. So anyway. So so I started off this morning uh, painting a picture of prayer as formation. And the picture, as I said, that I wanted to use this morning for prayer formation was the picture of an anchor. And that kind of has come to me over the past number of weeks as we've been wrestling with prayer and the life of prayer in the community of Redeemer as we've chatted about it as a leadership team and as a staff team. And uh, this, this scripture in Hebrews 6 speaks to that. It says... People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I'm gonna say this morning that when we anchor ourselves into daily prayer, into the daily office or something equivalent to it, even just sitting down with a psalm every morning, and opening up our being to the presence of God, when we do that, we are anchoring ourselves to Christ himself. In fact, he is the anchor, and we cling to the chain for all we are worth. Dan spoke last week a little bit about the Holy of Holies, that place in the Jewish temple where the ancient Jews uh, believed was the dwelling place of God on the earth. And how one day a year the high priest went in behind the curtain, and he had a rope tied around him just in case there was some ritual imp- impurity that meant he was going to be struck dead, or if anything else happened to him, and uh, they'd be able to pull him out from behind the curtain with this rope. And uh, I love the picture of David Armstrong, you know, as our high priest entering behind the veil. But you know, praise God, David Armstrong isn't our high priest. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Sorry, Dave. Jesus is, Jesus is our high priest. He has entered as a forerunner on our behalf into the very presence of our Father. And he sits at his right hand, interceding for us. He is the anchor for our soul, firm and secure behind the veil. Every time I say that I think of being in the BB. <laughs> is there any BB voice here? David Wiley. <laughs> We're a dying generation, Dave, I tell you what. said on your little BB badge, it was an anchor, and it said, sure and steadfast. You know, it was based on this scripture. Um, I need to deconstruct that, don't I? You know? <laughs> the reality is for us that we who know Christ, we're also in Christ, and we are seated with him in heavenly places by that union. And so we too, just like Jesus, we get to come before the throne of grace of our Father. I wanna to transition to our next section with this C.S. Lewis quote. And I'm using, I'm using this quote because I agree with half and I kinda partly, partly disagree with the other half. C.S. Lewis says this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. I want to say, yes, yes, Lewis. I pray because it changes me, but I'm kind of, I am of—I want to disagree a little bit with Lewis when he says that prayer doesn't change God. I want to say that in some sense, in some sense it does. In some sense... It causes God to act. At least it seems true to say that God has so orchestrated his working that his power is poured out in some measure by the effectiveness and the persistence of our prayers. We look at the teaching of Jesus and he confirms this. He taught us to pray that his father's will would be done on earth as it it is in heaven. And this only makes sense if God's will is not already being done on the earth, it only makes sense if our prayer actually helps bring about God's will on earth. Prayer doesn't just change our attitude towards God's will, it releases God's will on earth. Jesus also instructed us to ask God for things, promising that they would be given. Prayer doesn't just change how we feel about what we have or we don't have. It actually affects what we have or we don't have. And so we pray and we ask God. And again, Jesus commanded us to pray with tireless persistence as though God doesn't want to hear or answer our prayers. You remember the parable of the persistent widow and another parable where Jesus talks about this. His teaching Jesus' teaching assumes that the more we pray, the more good is actually accomplished, not just in us, but in the world around us. And so I believe, I really, really believe that our prayers are effective. I believe that the Father really does, <clears throat> He really does desire that we prostrate ourselves before Him in repentance and in petition, and in deep, agonizing, longing prayers that ask him to move, that ask him to pour his spirit out. I love the prayers of the Old Testament prophets, and there's this prayer by the prophet Habakkuk. He prayed like this. He prayed, Lord, I have heard your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. We live on an island, Ireland, that has seen some incredible moves of God over the last 1,600 years. It's St. Patrick's Day next weekend, and alongside enjoying a couple of pints of the black stuff, we do well to remember the extraordinary move of God that brought the message of Jesus and the kingdom of God to the local pagan Celtic peoples right here on this island. There is a deep, deep well of spiritual heritage on this island, and it should be our longing that God would unstop the well of his presence again and allow Ireland to become a light to the nation's. Again, the missionary legacy of St. Patrick continued long after the death, after his death, and through the Celtic monastic movement, of which these books form a part of the modern day kind of Celtic Renaissance. But in the sixth and, uh, sixth and seventh centuries, Celtic Christianity had spread throughout the British Isles like wildfire, under men like Columba and Aidan, and women like Bridget and Hilda. And these monasteries weren't just places of monastic recluse. They were spiritual centers and discipleship training hubs that sent missionaries throughout Western Europe. And then we've got more recent history in Ulster. You've probably heard about the 1859 revival where something like 100,000 people came to Christ in one year alone. Unbelievable. But Lord, we have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So with the anchor in the first part Uh, is our picture of prayer as formation in our lives. The picture of a kite can perhaps represent what prayer as fighting might look like. That wild, free, wind-of-the-spirit-enabled prayer that tears down strongholds and asks God to move. I don't know if you've seen the movie or read the book, The Kite Runner, but uh, it's a story about a young boy, a young Afghan boy called Amir, and it's set against the backdrop of uh, tumultuous events in Afghanistan before the 9-11 terror attacks. And uh, it deals with powerful uh, themes of guilt and redemption. But there's this scene in the movie, or a couple of scenes in the movie, where uh, these little Afghani boys are out flying their colorful kites overhead. You know, they're free and they're far above all the troubles of life below. But the catch is that the strings of their kites are Edged in glass, and the whole aim is that these guys are out, these kids are out uh, fighting with their kites, and the, the the aim is to cut the string of your opponent with the string of your kite. These are these are fighting kites, and it's this picture of a fighting kite that I kind of want to use today as uh, our illustration of another type of prayer. You know, the Apostle Paul calls our spiritual foe, the prince of the power of the air. And so perhaps this image of fighting kites is a suitable one for prayer as fighting, as wrestling, as contending. And in some sense, we do battle as we petition God in prayer in this way. In his classic book, The Soul of Prayer, a guy called P.T. Forsyth says this. He says, lose the habit of wrestling, and the hope of prevailing with God, and make it mere walking with God in friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. And this is a little section out of that book, Dirty Glory, by Pete Gregg. And it's about a, another awakening in, in the Outer Hebrides. And this was, as our, this was as recent as the 1950s, I think, um, Says this: Many intercessors during the Hebridean awakening were women who truly knew how to prevail in prayer with authority. One of them described how the breath of the Spirit would come and it was like being in childbirth. She said we would fill up and fill up and fill up with the breath of God and we would be in agony and suddenly there would be relief as a new soul was born. Then the weight would come again we would fill up again and again, and others would be born into the kingdom. Don't you love old stories like that of old ladies travail- travailing? I had asked you how to pronounce that word, <laughs> travailing in prayer. We need a few of those little old ladies here in Redeemer, I think. The point of this kind of wrestling, fighting, travail- travailing prayer is, of course, that there is an unseen. Reality that we would do well to have the veil lifted from our eyes and take seriously. We are at war, not with flesh and blood, but with dark spiritual forces. The Apostle Paul again said this He said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So on Wednesday, we're gonna gather here to wrestle. We're gonna gather here to pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication as we cry out to God for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done in our midst and for the good and the peace and the prosperity of our city. As we finish this morning, I've got a little toy with, not a toy, I've got a little thing with me here. I want to finish this morning with a final picture of prayer. And uh, that picture is of prayer as incense. And um, some words from Psalm 141, they say, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you as incense. So I've got some... I'm into my smells and candles and, you know, whatever. I love it. So this is frankincense. And um, there's a few things that note about incense. And it really helps paint this picture of prayer as incense. So there's little tiny bits of uh, incense here. And incense is beaten and pounded out before it's used. It's kind of broken down into small bits. And, you know, in the same way there is a humility and an honesty in prayer which comes from a broken and a repentant heart. You know, we're told in Scripture that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And for our prayers to be considered like incense, we must recognize that we are poor and broken in spirit and for it to come from that place. And that incense also rises Toward the heavens. And the point of prayer is that it ascends toward the throne of God. As we mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about that picture of Jesus in Hebrews, where Christ is exalted and sitting at the right hand of the Father, and there he intercedes on our behalf. And indeed, we are united to Christ, seated with him in heavenly realms so our prayers can have free access to the presence of the Father. We are encouraged to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Thirdly, incense requires fire. I had to put a flame to the little charcoal thing for it to be useful. And our prayer needs to be set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, we ask for our prayers to be carried in the power of the Spirit. And finally, as maybe you guys in the front row are kind of getting a waft of this, incense yields a sweet aroma. (laughs) And our prayers are considered a sweet aroma before the Lord, before the Father. Prayer offered through the name of Jesus is a sweet aroma as it ascends to the Father. It is pleasing to him. And the fact that we can bring pleasure to our Father through our prayers is something that should cause us to be to drop their knees in gratitude and joy. I'm done. Um, as we finish here, I'm going to invite the band to come up. But we are going to Let me think what way we're going to do this. We're going to pray together, first of all. And what we're going to do, we're going to pray the morning prayers from the daily office together. We're going to pray part of that together. um, The set prayers that are pray every day. And these are very dear to me, these prayers. These are the prayers that have shaped me more than, (laughs) I don't know. they, They had a profound effect on me. So I pray that they would have A profound effect on you and there's something beautiful in this as well as we kind of look forward to St. Patrick's Day on um, next Saturday. Um, Part of this prayer is uh, part of St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's St. Patrick's Prayer, St. Patrick's Breastplate it's called and it's kind of a a retuned, shortened version of that so you'll know it when you get to it. It's Christ as a light illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield overshadow me. There's one bit in this that has a call and a response and you, you, you pr- we, we will uh, pray it all together apart from the bits where it says call and I'll just say that bit and then everybody respond with the other bit. So can we stand? Right, let's, let's pray this together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. One thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. Who is it that you seek? Do you seek him with all your heart? Do you seek him with all your soul? Do you seek him with all your mind? Do you seek him with all your strength? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. King of endless glory. Christ as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield, overshadow me. Christ under me, Christ over me. Christ beside me, on my left and my right. This day be within and without me. Lowly and meek, yet all powerful. Be in the heart of each to whom I speak. In the mouth of each who speaks unto me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Christ is a light, Christ is a shield, Christ beside me, on my left and my right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.